Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm a sports nutrition and exercise physiology professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and also a strength coach. I run Strength Guild in Topeka, Kansas, and Lift for Hope, as well as, I guess, the USSF, too, my own lifting federation. Got more stuff all the time there. Busy, busy. I know. Hey, uh, let's cover Iron Radio news first. I know you were just posting some stuff on the Facebook page. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Yeah, I was posting that. First of all, I want to say, um, anybody who wants a shirt, you can go on the Facebook page and look. There's a link to get them. We've got, I think, 30-some left. Um, we sold a lot the first day. Um, and then just posted two things on there that we were going to look to have two listeners come on as a guests on an upcoming episode. I just put it up there. You have to go on there and tell us why you think you should be on the show. Um, we'll pick two people out. You have to be able to be on at 6 p.m. Central Time on a Thursday or 7 p.m. What is it? Pacific? Eastern Time. Uh, Eastern Time. Yeah. yeah. Um, five Mountain, four Pacific, uh, wherever <laughs> you live. Um, or if you're overseas in England, it's probably halfway into the night. So, But you have to be available for our recording time. And uh, we'll have two people on to ask us whatever you want. And then the second thing was for episode 250, which is coming right around the corner, we want you to give us your top five most influential, pe- influential people in the strength and muscle sports this past year. Um, we'll pick three to get a free t-shirt. That's just kind of to go against the uh, the top 100 that just came out that's kind of getting a bunch of buzz. Um, yeah, there were some very cool. nice comments on the Facebook page about people like, well, this must be the most, maybe it's the most influential, doesn't mean the most intelligent, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. But, yeah, it's there's no doubt. I mean, you and I were just saying before we hit record that, um, you know, this is more like a who you know sort of thing, you know, who's fresh in your mind, you know, that makes these lists. And, uh, you know, if it's opinion, fine. We'll come up with our own opinion, you know, from our listeners. Dr. Oz was number one. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah, let's try to keep this specific to strength sports, strength conditioning, muscle sports, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if you're going with, like, on the nutrition end, with people that work with people in those um, muscle sports and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, unless there's some popularizer of science who's just, you know, reaching the public and having a huge impact or something. But, yeah. you know, yeah. you don't see that very often. No. Okay. Yeah. So that's the two things we got in Iron Radio right now. So, All right. Uh, I have a, a few news bits here, and they're going to set up our guest. Uh, some of the listeners know that I've been fussing that we need some psych-related guests, and this is sort of a forehead smacker, but I actually thought I would have my wife Kelly come on uh, because she's a licensed counselor. I mean, she's got a master's degree in this stuff, and uh, we're going to talk about some specific issues, psych-related, not so much like uh, psychological prep for competition. We're going to have somebody else coming on uh, hopefully in the next month for that, but there are lots of other psych issues, and I'm going to start with a few abstracts uh you know in the science news uh this first one 
uh, is European Archives of Psychiatry and Clinical Neuroscience, 2013 November, by Barr and Markser. Uh, it says the prevalence of psychiatric conditions among elite athletes is still under debate. More and more evidence is accumulating that high-performance athletes are not protected from mental disorders like was once thought. And then it goes on and it lists a couple of things that very hard training or even elite athletes endure, like uh, eating disorders, exercise addiction, mood disorders, and we're going to talk about some of that today, uh, and overtraining uh, and some of the depression and you know things that come with overtraining syndrome. Uh, it says the author suggests the physical and mental strains endured by athletes might influence the onset or the severity of different psych disorders. And one of the things that they talk about in this paper, which I think is very interesting, is a lack of recreation experienced by athletes. That sounds almost ironic, doesn't it? You know, that they lack recreation. But like Kelly and I were saying uh, maybe an hour ago, it's not, it's sort of their job. You know what I mean? This is not recreation to somebody who's training their ass off to be a world champion, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I just think that's interesting because a lot of the benefits you hear about exercise and helping with mood um, is because it's recreational and it's enjoyable. And I'm not saying it's not enjoyable to these athletes, but you know, when you're punching the clock and you know it's 4:30 in the morning or something like that, I don't know if I'd call that recreation. You know, so yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's one. Uh, athletes not necessarily protected when they're elite. Uh, and again, a lot of this, I think, what we're going to have to distinguish between elite competitors, like strength competitors, bodybuilders, that sort of thing, and compare them to the recreational person who is not in the same boat at all. You know, they're they're just different. Uh, here's another one and another topic that we're going to touch on. We have some questions for uh, Kelly. This one is called Chronic Pain Effect on Body Schema and Neurological Performance in Athletes, a pilot study. This is uh, Perception Motor Skills 2013 by Therm and colleagues. It says the ability to recognize body parts while blindfolded is called body schema. Learn something every day. Chronic pain, which actually that's Kelly's specialty, chronic pain disrupts cognitive function and could lead to altered body schema. So, you know, not being able to identify different body parts. Commonly competitive athletes have chronic pain, but they still train and compete. Well, well sure they sure. do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all three of the co-hosts of this show could tell you that. You know, when you're getting ready for a competition, what do you say? Oh, my elbow hurts. I'm, I quit. You know, I don't know. Anyway, I get it. It says, uh, this study showed that despite chronic pain, the athlete group presented with unaltered body schema, so they could still identify body parts that were touched, for example, and blindfolded. So maybe they're just dealing with the chronic pain. They said they actually had better neuropsychological performance, although they pointed out it might be because of self-selection uh, instead of something to do with the uh, the training itself. So chronic pain is another one. And this last one I can't really say is news uh, necessarily. This is from 2010, and it's directly related to one of our topics. Uh, it's from Drug and Alcohol Dependence. Kanayama and colleagues, they do quite a bit of anabolic steroid work. Uh, it's entitled Treatment of Anabolic Androgenic Steroid Dependence, Emerging Evidence and Its Implications. It says, um, currently there's few anabolic androgenic steroid users or abusers that seek substance treatment, substance abuse treatment. Um, and they're speculating that that's because it really didn't become widespread until the 80s. And I think we might have talked about this many moons ago. So only now are you getting middle-aged people who abused anabolic steroids heavily uh, in their youth. 
you know, so now they're middle-aged. They've been on it for years enough to have some of these uh, accumulating impacts. And it says, uh, really, treatment from a psych perspective should address at least three things. One is the muscle dysmorphia, you know, the whole body image thing. Let's face it, no lifter, power lifter, bodybuilder, strongman, nobody wants to watch themselves get very small and flabby. You know, that's can't be fun for anybody. Um, another one is hypogonadism. You know, when people go off anabolics, uh, they lose gonadal function, and that's fairly well linked to depression. In fact, this talks about frank major depression. Uh, in fact, that's one of the things I remember Eric Serrano, who some listeners might know, he's a, a physician and a, he was a friend of my sister who's also a physician, but he would used to say that's one of the biggest problems he sees with anabolics. It's not so much the usually touted things like heart disease or liver stress or whatever, but it's the brutal uh, depression that these guys yeah. endure when they go off. Uh, and uh, I've actually, I'll tell you a story about that maybe a little bit later. And then um, finally, the third thing is they say anabolics may also have hedonic effects like opioids. Now, I would initially balk at that and say, uh, you know, what are you saying? People are getting high, you know, on anabolic steroids. But it talks about how opioid antagonists, blockers, um, reduce uh, anabolic steroid dependence in some studies. So there do seem to be some... Uh, connections with opioid-like addiction. So there's three things, you know, that are iffy when it comes to this uh, yeah. kind of thing. So anyway, that's the news. All things related to psychological mood disorders, all these sorts of things, which we're going to talk about today. Again, the focus is not so much getting ready for a competition, but instead, what are some of the other psychological things that lifters might have to deal with from chronic pain, etc.? Um, so having said that, I'm going to ask Kelly to um, introduce herself and just um, explain her background and even the background, you know, what she knows about lifters, for example. Hi, listeners. I'm Kelly Lowry, Lonnie Lowry's wife. So that in itself gives me a little bit of background with bodybuilders. And as far as my training, I, just as Lonnie said, have a master's degree in community counseling, and I specialize in dealing with matters of chronic pain, and I utilize cognitive behavior therapy in that. You work with individuals and with groups with that, right? Yes, I do. So that's one of the things that we're going to try to get at. Um, for people who do struggle with some anxiety uh, or depression or any of these conditions like these studies we were talking about, um, that's what I want to start asking Kelly is, you know, as a counselor, what does she do? I mean, I don't want people to try to go self-treat necessarily, but, you know, some of the techniques and, you know, opinions, professional opinions, tips, tricks, everything uh, regarding uh, some of these things. Because, you know, these are real things. I mean, the chronic pain thing really struck home because, Phil, you and I have talked about how, gosh, last time I competed, I, for the last month I was constantly in pain. Yeah. You know, you don't just stop. You know, you're not going to throw away the last 20 weeks, you know. Um, and you're best friends with ibuprofen. You know what I mean? So, I mean, this is the kind of stuff, chronic pain is you just things you deal with, but it can wear on you. You know, this is not fun. So my first question, and we'll start with the questions a little bit, and then uh, we'll go to break, and then we'll come back and do some more. But my first question is a little bit loaded here. But, uh, Kelly, do you think bodybuilders and powerlifters, do they have, in your opinion, personality disorders or psych issues 
you know, that draw them into the field? Or, you know, do you think that they're going to have problems like in some of these abstracts with mood disturbances and all that kind of stuff? Yes, yes. Actually, I do th- just like any individual, there's always some kind of personality <laughs> that draws you to one area or another. So, yes, as far as being able to uh, be a bodybuilder and have some kind of personality issue, of course. What about powerlifters? Do you see powerlifters, Phil and I were talking about this before we hit record, do you think powerlifters are a little bit more relaxed, um, a little less kooky maybe than the bodybuilding group? It, it seems that way from just listening to the banter between the two of you that being able to just go all out, but being able to be a little bit more relaxed when it comes to the dieting, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, or even some of the muscle dysmorphia and that sort of thing. I mean, I think there's a lot of powerlifters, and Phil, I mean, you can jump in here, but they like to be big, but that's kind of where it stops, really. I mean, there's not that I have to see every muscle fiber twitch and... You know what I mean? I mean, about the 10th time Kelly was painting me up with dioderm in the bathtub, you know, <laughs> and we would laugh about this. Like, this is so absurd. And that's the thing I never liked about competing. I like getting lean. You know, I like lifting. But that kind of stuff, I understand there's some theater behind a lot of that. But we would just laugh about how absurd this was. You know what I mean? We're like playing Twister practically in the bathtub. I got posing trunks on or less, and she's painting me with some kind of a dark tan coloration you know and i mean i just don't see that level of bizarreness maybe with the the power crowd i don't know no i i will give this though i think you see the trade out for the physique goes to stress about how much loads on the bar because it's the sport now Uh, the sport didn't get on the stage looking good the sport is I, i gotta move five more pounds no matter what it takes. So you think there's some shame involved to somebody like uh, they can't get a new PR after two years of trying, something like that? Yeah, I think there's definitely, I wouldn't say, there's there's a stress stress level there, much like there is in, in the physique side. You mm-hmm. know, on the physique side, it's never lean enough, never big enough. Yeah. And the powerlifting side, it's never strong enough. You know? So. Yeah. Well, I've heard Rob himself say that if, if he wasn't convinced that he could make heroic gains... You know, that he would lose a huge amount of motivation to even do it. You know, so yeah. there has to be that belief that you're going somewhere, I think. You know, oh, yeah, going you have to believe, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Mine's huge, but yeah. So, Kelly, what about the, the science stuff that I was just reading off? You see issues with all those things chronic pain, uh, depression, anxiety, all possible, probably, huh? Yes. Let me ask you this then. If somebody comes in and they're like, oh, uh, I'm a bodybuilder. You know, I'm struggling. I got off the gas, you know, and I'm struggling with depression or, you know, I'm feeling anxiety or this and that. And I or I'm getting small. All these things are coming down on him. Uh, What's a typical counseling session like for someone like that? Now, I know you don't work with a lot of these guys, but you have worked with some bodybuilders before. I mean, no one I know, of course. But the point being is what's a typical counseling session like when someone comes to you and they're hurting mentally? Well, just like in a medical setting, you discuss the client's uh, history, their background. Um, not just, you know, obviously not just the, the mental health issues, but the physical, because they do go hand in hand. Um, in dealing with uh, the chronic pain groups, 
we have the biopsychosocial model that includes both the uh, psychological and the medical or the biological, but also the social. You're dealing with elite athletes like the one paper was talking about. You know what I mean? And you can't assume – like oftentimes I think the average person hears about how uh, exercise is so helpful mentally. Now, you do believe that exercise and eating well, like you'll see bodybuilders doing that kind of stuff, that is generally good for mental health. It's just not when it's taken to like an elite level? Well, in my group, we discuss a topic called pacing. And that is essentially going until your body says, you know, we're starting to hurt. You need to stop. Whereas from my, what I've heard, again, discussed between you and Phil, is you guys push beyond that. And normally we would discourage something like that. So do you think that falls outside of the realm of normal? I mean, because I think about old Arnold flicks, you know, and he's like, you know, the champions are the one who can push beyond the pain of the 8th and ninth rep and do the 10th, 11th, 12th. I mean, we kind of train ourselves over the years to purposely push through pain. And you're saying that's something that average people just, you encourage them not to do. Yeah, I, I discuss awareness. Awareness being key. I mean, aware of what your body's telling you and the mind. This is almost making me feel a little embarrassed. And Phil, I know you're in the same boat as... <laughs> How many times have you looked down at your waist after a workout and you're bruised where you had your belt? Oh, yeah. Or your knee wraps, you know? And it's like, oh, God. Because you're not really aware, I guess, at that point, right? Adrenaline is flowing so hard. One thing is happening. That weight is going to go up. I, yeah. I, I don't know. What do you think about that? No, I agree. I think my, my problem with that is we, the people doing this, people pushing past pain and this and that, we're, we're looking to be something more than average. And I, I believe you have to kind of reach that point to do that. You know, it's, uh, it's worth pointing out too, isn't it, that I'm not just talking about muscle burning. Like when Arnold talks about pain, he usually talks about muscle burning. But, I mean, we're literally talking about working through some serious pathological joint shit <laughs> here yeah. and still pushing through it, right? Yeah. And it's – I don't know. I mean, it's it, – to keep it up, no matter what, you have to get more benefit out of it than you do negative, no matter what. So, I mean, even though, like me, myself, I'm going through a lot of pain with a hip that needs replaced and either needs replaced and shoulders jacked up, I'm still going, I'm going hard, and I'm having fun. Right now, it's still, you know, I've sat back and asked myself, do I still like this? Is it time to quit? And it's like, no, I, I, I like it too much. That's even funny. I, it's worth putting up with that pain. Yeah, I've actually, m my own physician will say stuff like, well, when symptoms get bad enough, it drives you back to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, everybody has this sort of... Um, ratio don't they like acceptable yeah. pain level and yeah i guess as long as you're having more fun and you're making more progress than you are hurting right then you're just going to keep hurting a little bit because it's it's um the ratio is beneficial still it's worth the enjoyment of going in the gym and you know i get getting that endorphin rush and also hanging out with your training partners and you know this and this i mean sure i know there's going to be a point at some point that it, it's not worth it but you know, I know that point for me then is going to be surgery, and then it's going to be the fun of doing rehab so I can get back at it. You know? Yeah. So. You know, it's funny, though, isn't it? Because I think any counselor or even physical therapist would probably tell us we're a little bit nutty. You know, yeah. like yeah. you should not do that. You know, if it hurts, don't do it. I mean, yeah. how many times have you heard that? You know what I mean? Let me ask you this. Who – let me ask Kelly this. Is there anybody out there in this world that's not messed up? 
Um, you're asking me to define normal. Well, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm... Well, uh, yeah. Uh, and are. You know what? And I ask clients that all the time because they, they'll tell me, I just want to be normal. And I look right at them and I said, what's normal? Yeah. What's normal for you is more the question. Exactly. I mean, and that's what I'm getting at. I mean, there's, you know, I could argue that it's worse that I had a habit where I'm spending 80 hours a week playing Xbox sitting on the couch. You know, everybody has their issues and things that they enjoy and kind of, uh, you know, obsess about to a, a point. I don't think. But the difference is, Phil, you're actually talking about you're enjoying it. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's the, where we see the difference. Either yep. you enjoy it or it gets to the point where you're pushing beyond it being enjoyable anymore. Yeah. You know, it's sort of that constructive versus destructive thing. You know, the goal is still construction. It's still a constructive goal, you know, as opposed to something that's pain with no benefit. Like a lot of Kelly's patients, I'm sure, they, they deal with pain and they just want to be rid of it. You know what I mean? They're not enduring pain towards some higher goal. And I think it's that higher purpose thing that kind of sets us apart. You know what I mean? It's yeah. that all athletes are taught to sacrifice on some level. And at what point that becomes psychological, like a pathological, you know, is probably a little suggestive. I mean, Kelly just mentioned that she does assessments uh, with clients. You know, everybody's different and that sort of thing. And you know, it, how similar that to what I would do in nutrition or what you would do in coaching, Phil? You know, everybody, you got to yeah. do an assessment. Then you come up with a plan once you know where this guy or gal is now. Yeah. You know. No, and I can see where exactly what you're saying, Kelly, because, I mean, I've lived it and I've dealt with clients with it that are doing something in the fitness industry that it's more not only physically harmful but mentally to them than they get benefit, you know, from eating disorders to, you know, mental disorders to this and that. And, I mean, I've when I was more on the physique side, that's definitely where I was, and it took me a long time to get to the other side. Um and exactly, just, but that that going. that other side that you're talking about is exactly where we're talk what we're talking yeah. about. We're talking about making that transition from being pleasurable to being detrimental. Yes. Okay, sure. I'll tell you what. Um, just so uh, we stay on track here, we're going to go to break a little bit. When we come back, uh, we're going to ask Kelly some things about specifically about like what she does. Uh, when she works with a client who might be dealing with depression. You know, uh, again, this sort of the theoretical, if somebody comes and he's depressed from withdrawal, you know, of anabolics, or dealing with the anxiety of chronic pain, that kind of thing, uh, what kind of techniques uh, that a counselor might do to get this guy healthy again from a mental perspective so then he can get back at it. Uh, so anyway, we'll be right back in just a little bit. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to 
drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people, and you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So, thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we're back. This is uh, Lonnie and Phil, and we're with Kelly, uh, Kelly Lowry, my wife, who is a, a licensed counselor. Uh, so, again, f- sort of fulfilling that psych promise of uh, guests that I suggested we would have on the show. And one of the first things I want to ask is uh, that we left with was if, if somebody comes to you and he's dealing with anxiety or depression or, I mean, you could pick something specific, you know, however you want. What do you do as a counselor? Because, I mean, there are lifters who deal with the anxiety of chronic pain. They deal with the depression of uh, overtraining syndromes kind of things or even anabolic withdrawal. What do you do with people like that? Well, uh, first off, we meet them where they are, and then we talk about identifying what their barrier is or their cognitive error or really simply unhealthful thinking styles. So there's something that they're doing. So they're keeping themselves unhappy is what you're saying. Yeah, essentially. Because now cognitive behavioral therapy, that basically just kind of alludes to changing your thinking, right? You just try to get people to change their thinking patterns? Um, Change their thinking and their behavior and reactions to their thinking. Is there anything specifically that you do uh, with them? Like if, if somebody comes in and they say, you know, well, I... You know, I, I stopped abusing anabolic steroids, and now I'm I'm hugely depressed, and I'm just throwing in the towel. What's the point in lifting? And I look like crap. And what do you do with someone like that? Well, that's um, that comes under some of these, uh, like I said, cognitive errors. Phil was mentioning earlier about um, how uh, he would feel that he's failing if he's not lifting a certain weight. Um, we'd call that all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking you've probably heard and then we work on essentially changing the language 
So the more you change the language that's associated with it, you replace that negative or cognitive error with a positive. So there might be a value judgment. Like if I can't get that 800 pounds off the ground, I'm a loser, I'm a wuss. And, you know, that's over-concluding, obviously. So that's kind of what you're going with that? Yes. And I could see that with bodybuilding too, right? I mean, somebody comes – and you can imagine how hard this would be though, right? And, you know, let's forget about the anabolics uh, withdrawal for a minute. Even aging. I mean, right? If you work with somebody, this has these kinds of things have to be especially hard to athletes because part of their salient identity is I'm a performer, I'm elite. You know, Phil, I know you identify with that. You know, a little yeah. part of you is like, you know, listen, I am not one of the crowd. I have dedicated a huge part of my life to this. And like you were saying the other week, you know, you're flirting with the top ten in the world and in your weight class and this and that. And I mean, if all of a sudden you couldn't lift. That would be pretty devastating, don't you think? Oh, yeah. No, and this is something that me and Wendler have talked about fairly recently, and that it's kind of weird that we both, you know, we both reached a pretty high level of strength, and now we're both getting up there in age, and we know that we're we're getting to those years where we're no longer looking to go up, but we're trying not to go down. And that's weird. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's Think of the, the adjustment. There's an inevitable adjustment yeah. when you can't even pull 700 off the ground anymore yeah. or six you know what exactly. i mean now given your background it's very possible that you could be pulling more than 600 pounds off the floor even when you're 60 i don't know yeah. you know what yeah. i mean but that's going to be hard back to rob's comment that i was mentioning earlier that can't be super motivating you know what i mean that you're trying to slow the loss yeah exactly you know it's not as motivating but you, i don't know i mean i think there's a level of there's a level of maturity in anybody that sticks with this stuff for as long as we have that you just have to reach or you just wouldn't be still at it. It doesn't bother me. Like, yeah, I went in and missed that 800 at my last meet, but it's like, ah, oh, well, I'll come back and get it. You know? Right. It just doesn't – I don't let it eat at me anymore. I mean, because I really do enjoy the training. I love the community of it and the people I get to deal with and the people I get to help. Um, so it's like, ah. You know, I'm disappointed, but hey, I'll try better next time. Yeah, in that aspect, I think ages ago you mentioned that, you know, it's almost like the Batman quote. You know, why do we fall down, Bruce? You know, so we can learn to get back up. And I think there's a certain amount of mental toughness that just comes from being an athlete, period, right? You miss the weight and you're like, I'll get that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And for sure, I mean, it's like like I've had people say, well, why'd you even say you're going to get 800 then if you didn't do it? If you're going to say it, you better do it. Well, you got to say it. If I can't say it, hey, I'm going to get 800, then I'm not going to do it because I have to believe it before I'm ever going to do it. And I've never went in not thinking I was going to, you know. It just doesn't kill me if I miss it. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to keep punching the clock. Right. You know? There's that one quote, whether you believe you can do it or not, you're probably right. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. Is there, are there any other um, self-help kinds of things or uh, treatment modalities or any of that kind of stuff? Any advice you can give as a counselor if somebody is dealing with depression or, you know, anxiety or something like that? And again, there's lots of reasons, right? I mean, I know you work with a lot of people in chronic pain, and it just wears on you and wears on you over the years. Now, with something like Phil, at least Phil's got that confidence in the back of his mind that he can go get the part swapped out, you know, (laughs) and then he's fixed. You know, maybe the pain's gone. Um, I know when I had my right elbow repaired, the pain was just gone. I mean, 20 years of pain. And, you know, my left elbow, my biological elbow is still screaming at me if I lift too much. You know, my right elbow with the titanium parts, oh, it's okay. (laughs) You know, so, I mean, 
But people that with chronic pain, they don't have that hope right at the end of the, of the tunnel. And I mean, some of this stuff can be very anxious or do you give them hope or what do you do? Well, oftentimes they tell me that I take hope away, but um, actually I says, I'm not taking any hope away. I'm asking you to accept where you are and work with that. But again, back to Phil's comment, he has a very positive outlook. He mentioned, you know, if he doesn't lift that certain weight, that's okay. He just, he doesn't deny that um, he didn't do it. He just goes back and keeps trying. So that's positive thinking. So, do, But you have people in your group or individuals who, th- that's what they lack? They can't bounce back? Well, after being what they consider being knocked back repeatedly, they can't get back up. Like I said, those cognitive errors are things that we've developed over time. So if you keep saying, well, it's hopeless, it's hopeless, it's hopeless, how easy over years of doing that would it be to come back and say it's not hopeless so you just get in like a, a almost a habit like a rut yeah yeah and i've definitely seen that a lot and i see it i mean sadly you see it in coaching um people that try to use negative uh reinforcement to get people to do things instead of positive Yes. And I'm very much the opposite. It's like, you know, even if I have a lifter, like Olympic lifting, it's it's got to be the most frustrating sport of all the Olympic, of all the barbell things you can do. And it's even with that, I mean, I'm going to, if my lifter misses something, I'm going to tell him, okay, you did this good, now we need to fix that. You know, it's always something positive. Because there's very, very small percentage of people that, that, are, that are motivated through, through negativity. It's just there's not that many out there. I've actually read papers on that, that uh, negative uh, reinforcement or, you know, punishment uh, doesn't work, you know. And yet people like Jillian Michaels, you know, gets famous uh, basically doing that, right, insulting people. You see it in a lot of freaking high school coaches and stuff like that, you know, just putting putting the kids down. It's like, come on, (laughs) pick them up first. And, you know, and this is coming from you and because you're the you're a sink or swim kind of guy. You know what I mean? It's not like you're. um, giving people false hope either no no because I'm, I'm i'm honest too it's like yeah it's gonna t- okay it's gonna take you 10 years but i'll help you get there you know? yeah you know case in point is like uh sticking points haven't you said before that you'll um use lots of little plates and sort of hide the real number from a person oh yeah a you ton. know to get them to break through a one rep max you know pr especially women because they start seeing big plates and they think it's heavy and if i put a bunch of little plates on it's not heavy so, you know, they don't think it's heavy. You know? mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to touch on the, the, the go back to the, the hypothetical client that was uh, depressed and an androgen user. Wouldn't you say that would be complicated also from a medical standpoint because they likely are kind of depressed from, like you were talking about, Lonnie, now they're hypogonadal. They've got, they don't have these androgens. And androgens are also shown to, like, pick up your mood and help sleep and things like that. Yeah, essentially um, from so, a withdrawal perspective, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, because now, you know, they were way high because they were abusing them, and now they're, you know, lower than the average person. Lower <laughs> gone, yeah. That kind of goes so, back to what, Kelly, what you were saying about biopsychosocial, you know, and the bio side of that is just huge, right? I'm sure, like in that paper, 
they're talking about. In fact, I found it almost comical in the paper. They said, you know, it might be beneficial to give these people HCG and Clomid to yeah, try to restart their pituitary and their and their testicles. And I'm thinking, you could have asked a bodybuilder that 30 years ago, dudes. <laughs> You know, yeah, because that's what they do, right? I mean, a lot of them the, they'll end a cycle and they'll take something like, you know, HCG or clomiphene, um, purposely trying to reignite their endocrine system. You know, yeah. which I mean, I guess seems kind of odd because you're you're taking somebody that was abusing a medicine, you're giving them another medicine to fix it, but you kind of have to at a point like that. I think the hope there, and I don't know how effective it is, because, you know, I mean, if researchers are just now talking about this in 2010 to 2013, I'm guessing there hasn't been a ton of research done over the last 30 years, but, you know, how effective is that? You know, I think the, the average bodybuilder or powerlifter or strongman or whoever who's using for a cycle of, let's say, 6, 12 weeks or more, um, I think his hope is probably that he just kickstarts the system and he's back to normal. But yeah. you don't really know. I mean, maybe it'll come back for a little bit, and then it'll peter off again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And especially after not just one cycle, but what about back-to-back use over years and years? Yeah. You, you can't – you know, that's that's a whole different study altogether. Now does it work? Uh, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a good point, Phil. I mean, the biochemical part of that is huge. You can't ignore that your, your mental functioning is not just some issue about spirit or soul, yes. but it's – there's a chemical component here. And that's that whole, you know, the body is not a bunch of parts. It's a machine. You know, all these parts interact and work together. Yeah. And we can't yeah. just fix one thing, you know. Yeah. But. So, Kelly, do you think um, if somebody's in a situation like this, whether they're they're just so frustrated, they're trying to change their thinking, I mean, is a helper important? I mean, do they need a sounding board? Can they try to, you know, restructure their thinking themselves? Or is that just not – are people too social in that way? I think there is some potential – for starting it yourself, but it's always good to have an outside voice uh, of encouragement, of support, you know. But I want to go back to what you were talking about with essentially the abuse of the steroids. I mean, if our society accepts that alcoholism, for example, is a disease... Why wouldn't uh, abusing steroids be considered almost a disease? Well, that's an interesting uh, point because, Phil, I know you've probably given this some thought over the years too, but a lot of times you'll hear clinicians, and no offense to Kelly, but they'll talk about abuse, like androgen abuse. It's all abuse. And, I mean, there's a difference. Like when it comes to alcohol, you know, because a lot of people enjoy it, there's a use category versus yes. abuse. Uh, yeah. what, what, what with PEDs... You know, you don't see people saying, oh, he's using performance-enhancing drugs, but he's not really abusing them. He's not taking 13 grams <laughs> a week yeah. forever. You know what I mean? But that's the kind of stuff I think a lot of strength athletes might say there is room for use. You know, if you get off, you do it right, you whatever. Um, but then I think the general public would never condone that. No, I agree. And I don't know if I uh, – it's such a gray area with the whole – that's just like, I mean, if you're going to call alcoholism a disease, then, you know, a crack addict should be a disease, too. And that's But there's, there's treatment for both of those. Do that's you see what true. I'm saying? I mean, I'm just saying that if someone were coming from a perspective of cycling through steroid use, abuse, shall we yeah. say, why wouldn't it be... I mean, I'm saying it's our job as clinicians 
to help that person just as much as it's our duty to help alcoholic a heroin addict. I agree. I agree. My problem is I don't know if I see it as a disease. A disease to me is something like cancer. Nobody goes out and says, I'm going to start drinking a little cancer today. You know, (laughs) whereas everybody, you know, there there is a a mindful action of I'm going to start using steroids. You know, they weren't just forced upon you and it didn't just happen on you like a, a disease in my mind does. You know, cancer just happens to you. You know, Phil, you, I think that's been one of the debates, and maybe Kelly can chime in on this, but the DSM-5, <laughs> the new statistical manual that helps define these different mental disorders, uh, I was listening to Science Friday last fall, and they were talking about how they really need to get this more in line with the, the medical kinds of, you know, um, very, maybe from Kelly's perspective, the biological and chemical side and coming up with a, a different way of classifying these kinds of things. Because like you're saying, Phil, I mean, right now, I think a lot of medical diagnoses are done a little bit differently that, you know, let's say a blood marker or something than, yeah. than um, a mental diagnosis is done, right? Yeah. Actually, that is why they've, they updated the DSM-5 and with hopes in updating more regularly. The dsm traditionally has only been updated every 12 years now they want to update it sooner to keep it more closely in line with medical diagnosis so i guess that kind of reinforces what you were saying phil you know um because you know some of this stuff it's like a choice but at what point do you can you quantify where that choice has gone bad you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's one thing for a hypogonadal guy, middle-aged guy to say, listen, I don't want to have early onset heart disease and arthritis and this and that. And so I'm going to get on androgen replacement therapy, yes. you know, as opposed to somebody who says, I'm going to use uh, DECA so I can really look polished for this competition. Like you said, it's sort of a gray area, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. And one of the things that you've said before, Phil, is that elite performance really has very little to do with health. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think that's where things uh, we would all have to admit that it that is not a normal healthy outlook. No. You know what I mean? When you're like, you know, this has to be done. I'm in sacrifice mode. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like that one paper that I was talking about where they say one of the problems with mental disorders and athletes is they don't have any recreation because they're so hell-bent, you know, and obsessed in a way. And yet you have to have a little bit of that personality, even if it's a personality disorder, maybe, maybe narcissistic disorder. I don't, I, I'm not going to hurt myself. I keep talking like, but you know what I'm saying is it, maybe there's something that does drive that. Um, but I think compared to a clinician, almost nobody is going to condone what you said, Phil, about, you know, listen, I, I want to be elite and it's not healthy. Damn it. Yeah. You know, no, and I, the thing is, is I think the, the people that I've seen and met, that are the least healthy in the sports world are those people you just talked about. Their whole life revolves around their athleticism. That's all there is. There's nothing else. And some of them even don't make it as far as, you know, I'd say most of them. The the healthiest people I've seen are the ones that the athleticism is part of their life. But they're much greater than that. And they're they're much healthier mentally and probably physically too, and their you know their their athleticism is greater as well. Um, they're more relaxed about it. It's just a part of what they do that they enjoy. Yeah, you being multi dimensional. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, you've got to. Everybody's going to assess their self worth in some way. And if the only way you self assess your self worth is the ability to squat 900 pounds, yes, you're in trouble. 
You know what I mean? Like you usually become a bit you you become self destructive is what I've seen. You're just in the gym too much and you know, you're you're stressing it, you're Well wasn't that you who mentioned that guy on the uh, bigger, stronger, faster that you know, the guy who, gentleman who was living out of his truck in the parking lot yeah, of Gold's van. There's yeah. case in point, right? I mean yeah. this guy he's hanging on to one thing. Yes. You know, and I mean that that's it's sad, um yeah. actually. Where you know, if you have um, skills, degrees, your job, there's got to be other things. Uh, yeah, and you don't always see that. It's true, you don't always see that. Now, you mentioned once that when powerlifters stop competing, oftentimes they just they stop altogether. They just go back to doing whatever they were doing. Uh, yeah. Whereas bodybuilders have a harder time letting go. And I think that would suggest that maybe bodybuilders are more one-dimensional in that mm-hmm. way. You know what I mean? But, I mean, I think age is going to rob you of your aesthetics even faster than it's going to rob you of your of your strength. Yeah. And and that's just got to be hard, you know. All right, Kelly, let me – I got one more here. Um, do you think mental health is aided by lifting or the kind of, you know, healthy eating that we talk about and this kind of stuff? You mentioned it being biopsychosocial. It sounds almost holistic in a way. I mean, do you think these things are, are generally good? And if they are, at what point do they go bad? Well, of course they're generally good, um, but it's it's having that positive outlook um, and not having essentially that be your only definition of who you are. If if your definition is I'm Lonnie Lowry, a bodybuilder, a professor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that's that's much better than saying, I'm bodybuilder. Right, yeah. so long as I keep competing or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I guess I bring that up because I think on some level, a lot of these things are very healthy. If you look at the way uh, bodybuilders and a lot of powerlifters eat, I-, I would argue that from an awareness perspective, we're a pretty well-educated group as far as we know what's good for us and what's not. We know when we're overdoing it. You know <laughs> what I mean? Something like stimulants, like Rob was talking about before. When you have a monster before your Saturday squat because that's sort of a, a special event for you, that's a hugely different outlook than constantly slamming these things in order to you know lower your body fat or something like you know what I mean to like artificially help with something like that. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I would actually compare that to uh, we talk about a sleep hygiene or sleep habits. Just just like you mentioned, you know having that monster before you work out that's part of your workout hygiene your workout ritual so yeah a lot of this sounds like it's intent right when the stinking thinking starts when things start to you start making that cognitive error like you said right like it's one thing you want to pursue more muscle mass and strength these are positive things they're constructive things but when you have to do it or you feel you grasp at it and you feel you're going to lose it then you start the the stinking thinking, right? Again, that's it's the definition of yourself. Yeah, okay. no, that makes sense. I mean, because if all I identified myself with was Phil the powerlifter, then me missing eight hundred, I'd have been wrecked mentally because I just failed at my life. Right. But you know, I succeeded the same day because I coached five other people to that meet, and you know, my wife and daughter were there, and I'm you know, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and you know, I run. Three businesses. Exactly. So I think all of us, we do that. You know, when we fail, we say, well, I failed at this, but 
I had a blast. These other guys succeeded because of my coaching. So that was a win. You know, my wife's here having a good time. My family's here. That's a win. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I didn't do that part. But, and I think that's where, like, you're talking about, like, social. People have to have a lot of that social support, too. And sometimes I'll see people drawn into um, bodybuilding. or I don't know how much with with the powerlifting is much. But I think they're almost compensating in some way. You know, maybe they're more alone or they're more depressed or whatever, and they're doing this to compensate somehow. And you, you really need that social kind of structure. you got to have other things you're good at, other people kind of pulling for you. That's probably where the counseling comes in, isn't it? Yeah, it's l- like we've talked about before. Just it's that outside reinforcement, just that support. Yeah, one of the things that I always thought about with the way that um, a psychologist or a counselor looks at things is they're just a neutral third party. You know, they can look at you uh, just like Phil might do a physical assessment or I might do a nutrition assessment. This is just to get some numbers so we can go from here. And I think that's that's kind of what you do, isn't it? As a counselor, you're like, okay, here's where you are. Here's what I see. You know, I'm not a ta- I'm not in your family. I don't live in your house. You know what I mean? This and that. Well, with me maybe, but you know what I mean? With your patients. And then because you're neutral, because you're, I mean, you're not necessarily aloof, but because you're a neutral third party, you can make those assessments and say, I've noticed like five times today you've said flabby, you know, or something like that. And you can point out some of these things and challenge people from a neutral perspective, right? I mean, that seems to be the big part of this. Yes. Again, back to the positivity. It's positive affirmations rather than negative affirmations. Your definition of yourself. All right. Well, um, that's about all I've got. Again, I wanted to touch on some of these issues. Uh, oh, I, I promised everybody I would tell that uh, one story about a guy I knew. He was uh, it was anabolic steroid withdrawal. And this guy had a background in, in physiology. And I remember him telling me that purportedly he was he had been on a high dose uh, cycle of Dianabol and quit entirely like a cold turkey. And he said, you know, this just illustrates the biochemistry of it, I think. He's like, I kind of knew it was coming. And he said, I just broke down at work. He was working night shifts on an assembly line while he was in school. And he said, I just, I had to go in the bathroom because the a lot of the blue collar guys that I worked with, they were not going to understand <laughs> what I was going. And he said, I just started bawling. I just broke down bawling. And he's like, this is so ridiculous. I'm telling myself this is all brain chemistry. You know what I mean? He said, but the bottom line is I'm going through this. And it's, it's on his rational side is like, this is embarrassing. I can't believe I'm doing this. And yet he's doing it. You know what I mean? So, I yeah. mean, it can be very severe, some of this kind of stuff. And I think a lot of the, the frustration and the anxiety or the depression that sits in from uh, a lot of the chronic pain stuff in, lift, in lifters, I can see how that can be very, very problematic. I mean, like lower back pain. You know, Phil, what if you suddenly came down with lower back serious lumbar lumbar pain you couldn't do what you do yeah. i mean it would be hugely helpful to get a neutral third party for you yeah. to vent to a little and for to try to tell you what, oh, what yeah. they see you know what they see in you you know that's what i was gonna i was gonna touch on the social support thing too and it's i mean from what i've seen it can be good and bad um your social i'll just use me as a case like when i was more when i was in a law called you know my darker times and I think what I was doing was negative as far as fitness and, and body comp and whatnot. The people I was around were into that too. It was very much like you were talking about, oh, too flabby. Nothing was ever good enough. It was all based around your physique and whatnot. And so that social group was bad. you know. And what I had to do, I needed to seek a whole new one. 
that was more like how I wanted to be and how I am now. Much more positive support and you know, that, that's what I, I found that in strength sports. You know. Right. I mean, so, that can even, yeah, exactly. That can help with everything from your performance to your life in general. You know what I mean? The people around yeah. you tend to define you. I've actually heard people say you're defined by the seven closest friends that you have or something like that. Yeah, right? exactly. And that's what I'm, what I'm getting at, I guess, is uh, social support can be kind of gray area, too, because it might be horrible social support you're getting. Your social support that's helping, that's aiding your problem. Actually, I've had someone discuss a chronic pain group where they they were going there for support, but they were not allowed to discuss their chronic pain at all. So being able to discuss at least where they are that day with their issue of chronic pain and just being able to get it out, you know, so they're not carrying it around by themselves. Yeah. Yeah, you know, actually, uh, I'm going to summarize, I'll wrap up with this. Kelly brought a very cool little uh, worksheet uh, that sort of where you can point a finger on what you're thinking uh, erroneously, sort of. And these are a lot of the, the pitfalls that people make. It's from psychologytools.org. Can people get this free online or, or no? I you believe know? so. Uh, but Kelly mentioned the all or none thinking already. And we, we already talked about the overgeneralizing, too. You know, I can't pull 800, therefore I'm not worthy. You know what I mean? That's overgeneralizing. Yeah. But there are some others on here. What are some of these other ones, Kelly? We've got uh, the mental filter, only paying attention to certain types of evidence, um, either false evidence or over-exaggerating true things. Noticing our failures but not seeing our successes. We've discussed that. Um, how about jumping to conclusions? And there's two types to this. Mind reading, imagining that we know what others are thinking about us or the situation. Right, jumping to conclusions, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or fortune telling, predicting the future. Oh, Emotional. wait, now let's put this in a weight trainer perspective. So that might be something like, um, I didn't get as lean as I wanted to in this competition, so it's not going to happen next time either. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Emotional reasoning. Assuming that because we feel a certain way, what we think must be true. I'm trying to think of an example of some of these things, you know what I mean, from a weight training perspective. Right. Um, you know, this almost sounds like be a oh. Vulcan. Don't be so emotional, you know. Well, how about, because the example they use is I feel embarrassed, so I must be an idiot. So um, I didn't make weight class, so I, I, I must be a total lightweight. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or how about labeling? Assigning labels to ourselves or others. Again, like I'm a loser. Yeah. That's sort of like the overgeneralizing, right? I'm I'm a loser because right, because of one little bit of evidence. Right. Some of these things overlap, don't they? Yeah, they do. But but still oftentimes we will have people um essentially <laughs> rule out what they are or what they're not. The other is disqualifying the positive. You discount the good things that you've done. Like something doesn't count. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah. Like, but you're right. So Phil might say, well, I, I didn't get that 800. Um, and, you know, even though I, let's say he does a PR of seven plus, but that doesn't count because I didn't get the deadlift. That's right. That's ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's easy to say these are ridiculous now. But, right. But when you're by yourself and this is running through your head, I can oh, see yeah. how people's mental habits oh. go bad. Yeah. And there's a couple more here? Yeah, just a, just a few more. 
like uh, magnification. Um, oftentimes I refer to it as catastrophizing. Uh, you blow things out of proportion. I'm guilty of that. Don't don't no comment. comment. <laughs> <laughs> or how about using critical words like you should or you must, you have to. Oh, because they're, they can make you feel guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you don't, then... You know, that's true dietarily huge, isn't it? It's like, I really should avoid those carbs. Oh, I, you know, I must avoid that bread. And then you eat it. And then all of a sudden, you're, you got this sense of guilt. Yeah. Or um, how about personalization? Blaming yourself. You're, you're responsible for everything. You could not be in the same room and still be responsible, but... I can see how Phil... W- well, not Phil per se, but a coach could fall prey to that. Like, I blame myself. Because, you know, on some level, Phil, I know you've said, you know, listen, if this guy doesn't make the the, the lifts, I trained him. I set his openers. Yeah. You know, and... No, and that's probably why, you know, I'm, I've said it time and time again. I'm more stressed coaching somebody through me than I am taking myself through one. And it's for that reason. Right. That, right. But again, you know, that could be personalization on some level because it could be any yeah. number of things why the guy didn't make... Yeah. Didn't make the lift, really. Uh, although you're right, I mean, I think the job of a coach or an athlete is to stack the odds in the favor, uh, yeah. uh, you know, of the persons. Uh, even that maybe they didn't sleep because they were so excited. Whatever it is, it could have been something else. But so long as you don't internalize it, kind of is what you're saying. So yeah. there's just a little list of gold nuggets uh, for everybody: general mental health things. Because again, like these abstracts told us at the beginning, athletes are under a lot of stress. Oftentimes, um, especially if they are one-dimensional, like everybody has touched on here, you can end up really victimized by some of this um, erroneous thinking. If people really are dealing with a lot of anxiety or depression for whatever reason, biochemical, whatever, I mean, uh, going to see a counselor, I mean, you work with a drug nurse, for example, right? And I mean, this is the kind of person with the psychiatrist and the drug nurse, they can get some of the biochemical stuff straightened away as well. Yes, absolutely. Um and one of my last little tidbits I like to tell my clients is it's a fall down, not a fall back. You can pick yourself up, dust yourself off, get back on the track. Okay. okay. Again, I wish Rob was on because he loves to talk about some of this sort of stuff. Um, and we're going to have more in the future. Uh, one of the listeners actually wrote in and, and said he's got a contact for someone who is um, a sports psychologist who works specifically with weightlifters. So... Um, that could be interesting as well. Um, but that's all I've got. You have anything left, Phil? No, that's it. Okay, cool. We'll see everybody next week. Yep, until next time. Thanks. Hey, sports nutrition fans. Join us in beautiful Clearwater Beach, Florida, June 20 and 21, for the 11th annual ISSN Conference and Expo. You'll learn the latest, greatest sports nutrition from the best minds in the business. Some of our speakers include Juan Carlos Santana, Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky, Gina Lombardi, and many, many more. You'll learn about intermittent fasting, how to exercise to offset poor eating, and also nutritional strategies for maintaining or gaining muscle mass. But the best part is you'll get to rub elbows with the best scientists in the business. The ISSN, why would you go anywhere else? Go to www.theissn.org for more information. That's www.theissn.org for more info. See you there.
Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.